Welcome, T. <laughs> the curiosity hall. Any <laughs> child. <laughs> That's not that right. Way, no. No. Um, <laughs> how well should we carry on? Yep, carry on. Um, episode thirty-nine. Or oh, ninety-three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One day. Yeah. Um, it's been a busy few weeks, so we apologise for being late with this episode, but we've not been lazy, have we, Anton? No. <laughs> uh, we were interviewed by a podcast magazine. Yeah, we were, and we are in the June issue where you can learn a little bit more about us, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you all want to do because we're awesome. <laughs> um, that was also a special Dads in Podcasting, so I haven't actually seen it myself yet, and I'm hoping that I made it into the top 50 Dads in Podcasting. <laughs> what do you think, Anton? Do you reckon I did? Um, um, if, if you, if, yeah, if you want. If you want. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> You're not that good, Dad. <laughs> um... But you went one of your heroes, didn't you, Anton? Uh, yeah, hero, hero. Um, Anthony Horowitz. Who's he? He is a very, very well-known author. Uh, he wrote the Alex Ryder series. Uh, he's written some Sherlock Holmes... Um, James Bond as well now. Well. Yep, James Bond as well. And Diamond Brothers Detective Agency. So... That's cool. Yeah, so why did you meet him? Because I won. Uh, I didn't win it, unfortunately. I came second <laughs> in a competition, um, which was the Right Stuff competition. I was very happy, and he he was nice, and he said, uh, he said it was nice meeting me as well. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, so well done, young man. Great story. And hopefully we will be recording that as a special episode. Mm-hmm, so listen to that after you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to be guests on one of our favourite podcasts. It's a little while off, so I can't really say anything about it yet, but I'm very excited. And I'm hungry. <laughs> hints to the what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, we've got even more exciting news. We are talking at Intelligent Speech, and it's a fantastic online history podcasting conference with loads of big names, and it's on 25th of June. And the lineup includes a trio of Rex Pods. Rex Factor. Pontifax. Totalis Rankium. There's also the Eastern Border. The British History Podcast. One Mike Black History. Wonders of the World. So some really big names and shows there, and there's going to be way more people than that, and for some reason there's also... Us, the curiosity of a child. Yeah, not quite sure why we're invited, but we're there! (laughs) So um, come and listen. If you buy a ticket, you can also get access to all the recordings, so you can listen at any time. Use promo code CURIOSITY for 10% off when booking. That's right. So just visit intelligentspeechconference.com where you can find out all the details. Been a bit of a tough episode, this one, to pull together. That's why we're late. Um, we've not had much time to work on it. But it's finally taken flight, which is fitting, as this time we are talking all about rising into the air. Well, not by plane. The tales and stories and ideas that we are going to share today may be true, or they may be false but they fill the annuals of history, their man's bold attempts to reach the heavens. From the Greek goddess Europa flying high on a ball to 17th century rocket men, we cover it all. We start in ancient Greece around the year 150 CE, and the writer Lucian has just finished his work, True History. This writing is a piece of satire on other Greek literature but it's also been described by many as one of the first works of science fiction. In it, Lucian mocks other Greek writers and stories, and he comments on how many of the great Greek myths, um, they're taken as true when they're clearly not. So he writes the most absurd story he can, 
um, just to take the PP out of them. <laughs> just mocking them a little bit, yeah. Exactly. But throughout it, he's actually stating that it's factual. So I'm not actually going to tell the whole story as it's quite long, but um, it's a fun starting point for the episode, I thought. So are you ready? Yep. Lucian's true history. It starts off with some sailors uh, travelling beyond the Pillars of Hercules, so they're leaving the Mediterranean and going out into the Atlantic because they want to discover what lies beyond the Great West Ocean. Now, after a couple of days sailing, they come across an island and start to explore. And on the island, they discover a brazen pillar, and it's been engraved with Greek. And on it is written, Thrust far travelled Hercules and Bacchus. And as they travel further into the island, they hear the rushing of water, and there's a river. But it's not of water, it's actually a river of wine. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, and some of the men, they decide to eat fish from it, fish obviously very drunk ones because the men become drunk when they eat the fish too but uh, Lucian and um, some of the other explorers they decide to follow it to its source but rather than finding a spring or something that the river is coming from they find an incredible number of vines and they're covered by the largest juiciest grapes they've ever seen uh-huh. but do you know what is extra special about these vines they produce a wine river <laughs> no there's something even more amazing than that can't be Atop each one is the top half of a woman from the hip upwards. And these women were of perfect proportion. (laughs) And their hair was leaves and from their fingers grew more grapes. And uh, it said that these women, they could speak in many tongues. So they could talk in Lydian and Indian and in Greek. And one of the explorers, maybe still a little bit drunk from the river, he decided to kiss one of the ladies and he became very, very, very drunk. Mm-mm. And he wasn't himself for a long time afterwards, or so they say. They stayed on the island overnight and then sailed off into calm seas the next morning until they were lifted into the air by a great whirlwind. They flew high in the sky for seven days and nights. And then looking down from their vessel, they could see land below them and they touched down on the moon. What? Ex- on the moon? Exactly. And this is true history? This is true history. And... When they landed, they were met by the Hippogippians. And they are men who ride on the back of giant vultures. And then they were taken to the king, a man called Endymion, who just so happened to be Greek as well. Several years previously, he had actually been stranded on the moon himself. And for some reason, the native people there adopted him as their king, which obviously Greek culture must be superior or something. Mm -hmm, Obviously. They invented the yo-yo. Did they? I, I'm, I'm like 90% certain they invented the yo-yo. If this fact is wrong, please email hello at thecuriousityofachild.com and tell me so I can mm-hmm. name and shame next episode. Thank oh, you. yeah. Yeah, there's going to be the uh, dumb daddy maybe next episode. <laughs> A mini segment about what everything that he's done wrong or the absolutely awful Anton for mm-hmm. everything I've done wrong. Yes. Um, what was I? Okay, yeah. So they were taken to the king of the moon. And um, he was at war with the King of the Sun over setting up a colony on the Morning Star because the King of the Sun didn't want just the moon to set up a colony there. Then Endymion, he asked Lucian if he and the fellow explorers would join him in battle, so they did. As battle lines were drawn, there were 20,000 lacanopters, which are mighty fowl, but with feathers made of leaves and their wings look like lettuce leaves. (laughs) Nice. 
And some of the soldiers, they rode on fleas, which were as big as 12 elephants. The Edomadronians... <laughs> the Edomadronians were some soldiers who could fly without feathers, and instead they used a thrust of wind from their feet, which would fill a sail and lift them into the air. And there were great many other fantastical creatures, including spiders the size of islands, I'm, in this battle. I'm not sure if the wind came from their feet. <laughs> it went in the direction of their feet, but I'm not sure if it was from their feet. Hathion, the Sun King, he also had a great many beasts, including winged hippomimics, which measured two acres in size, or about 8,000 metres across. Ah, that's nothing. So imagine trying to mount one of those. You're going to be walking for <laughs> an just, hour just to get to your saddle. The tiny saddle in the middle, yeah. There were also 50,000 aerocanopes, which were archers riding on the back of giant gnats. Now, battle was entered, and the men of the moon pushed back those of the sun, and much blood was spilled, and the clouds turned red like those of a sunset. And victory was had, and monuments were erected. Hooray! Woo, yeah! Oh, um, well, what's that? It's the sun's reserves. Flying horses with the upper body of a man. They thundered down and smashed the moon's celebrating forces, claiming victory for the sun. The story goes on like that for a good while. Well, this battle's over, but they go on many, many more adventures as they fly their boats to other realms and get swallowed by an enormous whale and fight giants and all sorts of other things. Isn't that whale from Pinocchio? It's similar, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, um... What's the one in the Bible where they get swallowed by a whale? I'm not sure. I can't remember. I haven't read the Bible personally. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's not exactly topical to our episode, but I mentioned flying, so I yep. liked it. <laughs> so flight is something that's always captured the imagination, but the idea of actually flying for a long time was seen as absurd or impossible for us to do. In Lucian's story, where he's mocking those fake truths, flight whether it's on beasts or a sailing boat in the air, is a large part of what makes this story so farcical, isn't it? Mm -hmm. For him, being able to fly is just as ludicrous as catapults which sling turnips which cause wounds that smell so bad you die. Which is another one of the weapons. <laughs> but throughout history, pioneers have explored flight and pushed the limits, and in many ways, been just as ludicrous as the true stories written by Lucian. So shall we explore some of these together? Let's go. But what if you really wanted to travel to the moon, Anton? What would you need? Um, I mean, is there a rocket? A rocket, you say? A rocket. So when did we first land on the moon? In 1969. Yeah. Well done. I oh, I got it right. Yeah. I, I hate that's right now. Who was the first man in space, Anton? Um, I know that it was a Russian dude, but I can't remember his name. Yuri... Gr Gar I, I don't know. Yuri Gagarin. And that was in 1961, aboard the Vostok one. Mm -hmm. um, so it's recent, isn't it? Mm. Not exactly 150 CE. But there was an earlier attempt at rocketry, and this was in 1633. But I don't think he quite made it into space. Well, I mean, that's a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah, and this is the story of a man called Lagarin Hassan Salibi, and he was a 17th century rocket builder, and there is some debate over whether this story is true or not. The flight took place in Istanbul, which was the capital of the Ottoman Empire, 
and it was to celebrate the birth of Sultan Moran IV's daughter. And it was obviously a day of massive celebration, and the air was already full with fireworks, but something extra spectacular was needed, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And Lagarin was the man to supply it. He had built a rocket, and it was said to have seven wings, but a rocket also needs a lot of thrust, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The blast that would lift our brave adventurer into the air would come courtesy of 65 kilograms of gunpowder. <laughs> so it doesn't seem too safe, does it? No. For this, uh, it was quite tricky to find any good like English research, so um, had to do a little bit of Turkish translation, so it might not be the best uh, for this quote here. Yeah, this is using Google Translate. He mounted the cartridge in the presence of the Sultan. His apprentices lit the fuse. Larrigan said, My Sultan, I'm going to talk to the Prophet Jesus. Mm-hmm. And off he flew, high into the air, arching upwards above the city blocks and out over the Bosphorus. Observations made by scholars measured that he travelled about 300 metres and that his flight was powered for 20 seconds. But his gunpowder cartridges were spent, and so he began to descend. Uh oh. <laughs> but on his arms, he wore large wings, and they allowed him to glide and gently splash down into the waters, and then he swam back ashore. Reaching land, he proclaimed, O Sultan, Jesus sends his regards to you. <laughs> and for his stunt, he was richly rewarded with silver. And um, he must have also been seen as a bit of a hero and a pioneer in his day, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. However, this fame didn't last forever and he'd later be exiled by the Sultan. What? What did he do wrong? I don't know. <laughs> and like I said, I don't know how much of this story is true. Basically everything that I could find was just a regurgitation of the Wikipedia article. Um, other than what I translated from the Greek source, uh, from the Turkish sources. But imagine if we had actually developed rockets and flight 300 years earlier than we did. Mm. Here's a couple of pictures which we have in the show notes. Oh, that's that's cool. Just a giant rocket flying up the side. Uh Uh-huh. And another great one here. That doesn't look very safe, especially with all those boats around there. No, well, there's actually a Turkish film. And I've got a clip from it here for you. what just happened to him <laughs> so he had just gone into the air like launched and then a couple of seconds later it just exploded like a firework yeah <laughs> i'm not sure that's how it really happened no. i don't think he would have survived that no lagarin however he might not have actually been the first rocket man from turkey he's um there was a 3000 year old artifact discovered in 1973 that was crafted by the mysterious aratu civilization and it was said by some people to depict a space rocket. So what do you think? I'm not entirely sure about that. Just what looks like a gnome, garden gnome. It does actually, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, with a little hammer on or something. <laughs> and um, it actually reminds me of the Mayan astronaut. Which some people say is a spaceman. The sarcophagus of Knich Jab Pakal. I think that's how you pronounce Mayan. <laughs> Yeah, so even if the stories that we've told aren't true, um, there are countless other ones which helped popularise the idea of flight, as did the works of Jules Verne. One of his fans was a certain Brazilian aviator, wasn't it, Anton? Mm-hmm. 
one of the early pioneers of both lighter than air and heavier than air flight was the Brazilian inventor and aeronaut Alberto Santo Dumont. His dad was of French descent and Alberto would spend time in both Brazil and France during his life. The family owned one of the large Brazilian coffee plantations, which was sold for millions when Santo Dumont's father died. One of his final wishes, that his son should follow his dreams. As a young boy, he had a curiosity of a child and, uh, and fell in love with engineering, but also loved speed and adventure. When he was seven, he drove the family farm's locomotives. Yeah, I like the name drop there. And it must have been quite a big farm if you've got locomotives. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they were used to move the coffee beans and things around. Mm-hmm. I lived a free life there, which was indispensable to form my temperament and taste for adventure. Since childhood, I had a great love of mechanical things. And like all those who have or think they have a vocation, I cultivated mine with care and passion. I always played at imagining and building little mechanical devices which entertained me and earned me high regard in the family. My greatest joy was taking care of father's mechanical installations. That was my department which made me very proud. That was a quote from Santor Dumont. <laughs> Aged 15, he watched as an aeronaut parachuted from a balloon and the stories of Jules Verne lit his imagination. With Captain Nemo and his shipwrecked guests, I explored the depths of the sea in that first of all submarines, the Nautilus. With Phineas Fogg, I went round the world in 80 days. Screw Island and the Steamhouse. My boyish faith leaped out to welcome the ultimate triumphs of an automobilism that in those days had not yet a name. With Hector Cervedoc, I navigated the air. Yes, he can see he's getting inspiration there from the stories, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Using his engineering skills, he started building kites and model planes that were powered by twisted rubber springs. That's quite clever. Yeah, yeah, he's a proper engineer. He didn't have any formal training in engineering, though. He just managed to pick it up himself. That's cool. The happiest days of my life was when I exercised myself making aeroplanes with bits of straw moved by screw propellers and driven by springs of twisted rubber or ephemeral silk paper balloons. But the memory of watching the aeronaut must have remained. He wanted to fly too. In 1898, he made his first ascent in a balloon, but as a keen motor racer, I think it was probably too slow for him. He started building airships, attaching combustion engines and using the engineering skills and knowledge to improve the design. Not all of his early designs worked, and he had some accidents. Yeah, can you remember any of those accidents? I think one of them, he was uh, flying in a sort of balloon thing, and halfway through his flight, the balloon folded in half, um, and then he started uh, to fall, I think, or get carried away by the wind. I can't remember exactly. But the, the, he was over like a park and a few boys who were flying kites um, held some ropes uh, and kept him... Uh, yeah, they managed to catch him and stop yeah. him kind of drifting away and crashing into the ground. That's right. And another time he 
um, he flashed into a hotel and exploded in a big fireball because they were full of hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And he managed to survive unscathed, though. And yeah. they loved and it, the newspapers and everything. Yeah, nobody hurt. But yeah, at the time, the papers loved kind of this spectacle in Paris. So and he was in Paris then, and um, he was becoming one of the most famous men in the city. Yeah, and he kept on going and going as well. Uh-huh. And everybody, everybody loved him because he was doing these things just like in the public. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got a quote from one of his accidents here. The descent was at a speed of four to five metres a second. It would have been fatal if I hadn't had the presence of mind to tell the passerby to pull the cable in the opposite direction to the wind. Thanks to this manoeuvre, the speed of the fall decreased, thrust avoiding the greater violence of the shock. I thrust varied my amusement. I went up in a balloon and came down in a kite. (laughs) It's funny. He is, yeah. Real kind of charismatic character as well. So he is... um, Le Petit Journal, and it's the cover here, which shows his wrecked dirigible. That was the one that hit the hotel, I think. Mm-hmm. Looks like it. Alberto Santo Dumont's flying machine must have become a regular sight around Paris. In 1901, he flew around the Eiffel Tower in an airship. He'd publicly tested each new design and soon became one of the most famous people in the VOT. Like I mentioned earlier. He... In the city. What? In the city, not in the box. That's a massive typo by me. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, what? Yes. <laughs> Wait, what? I was thinking, is that is that some sort of part of, I don't know, par- Paris? Oh, maybe it was. I can't remember now. I'm sure I got that from somewhere, actually. Anyway. Okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll leave that bit in. <laughs> right. right. Uh, um. That's, that's, uh, that's going to have to go in the dumb daddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at typing. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. Okay, please continue. Mm-hmm. Over, the <laughs> Over the next few years, he started to design and fly aeroplanes and was one of the key pioneers of early flight. 23rd of October, 1906, his 14BIS made the first powered, heavier-than-air flight in Europe to be certified by Aero, uh, the Aero Club de France. And can, can we have that in French, please? Oui, oui. By the Aero Club de France and the Federation Aeronautique International. Whoa, wow. <laughs> and we have some images of his aircraft in the show notes. He looks like he's flying backwards in that one. I was about to say that. This, the odd design of the early planes had what we would now think of the tail sticking out the front. Oh, wow. I've just seen that something else. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe. Okay, maybe so the, you the, the child of a young boy. <laughs> <laughs> he saw air travel as the future, so freely published his designs for all to use. That's right, and he's not actually that well known today, um, unfortunately. Not as well as he should be known. Yeah, for him, flight would be something utopian and would help free people. Oh yeah, if you ask uh, a Brazilian person, though, that the almost guaranteed to know because in brazil the argument is that he i think it was this uh that he invented flight yeah heavier than air flight they yeah they say that it wasn't the wright brothers but it was yeah alberto santos dumont mm-hmm. he was the first to fly heavier than air we listened to a good podcast called our fake history um mm-hmm. it's a good which, three-parter yeah it's, it's very good so check check him out 
Thank you very much, Anton. That was very interesting. <laughs> and I'm going to stick with France and also balloon flights. But let's add some horses into the mix and maybe some bulls as well. I like bulls. <laughs> as in moo moo bulls. Oh. Not footballs. Moo. <laughs> um, it's the 1850s and ballooning is all the rage, but also a little commonplace. So something new is needed. Something with some new edge and something more entertaining. So enter Monsieur and Madame Baudivin. Now the surname Baudivin is actually related to our own Anton. So maybe somewhere in the past we share an ancestor with this couple. So Anton, do you know how your great, 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 great granduncle, 15 times removed, Monsieur Baudivin, took the ballooning world by storm? Well, you mentioned something about horses, so did he? Oh, he invented the Pegasus. <laughs> well, he wanted a Pegasus, I think. Please, here is a poster. <laughs> and he would actually ride a horse beneath a hot air balloon. That's a bit too crazy. Yeah. And Circus act. Yes, and they'd actually suspend the horses directly below the balloon on cables or wires, so they weren't in a basket or anything. And tens of thousands of people would come and spectate at the Paris Hippodrome, where they would put on flights every Thursday and Sunday. <laughs> and they became so famous that they started to be known all around the world. And I've got an article here from the San Clemente transcript, dated 11th of September 1850. And it reads, Extraordinary balloon ascension. The Paris papers are filled with accounts of an extraordinary balloon ascent which took place from Camp de Marge recently. The great attraction of the affair was the aeronaut M. Potavan, instead of using a car, made his ascent mounted on the back of a white horse. The animal, which was blindfolded, appeared in the Camp de Marge, saddled and bridled after having been slung by ropes to the balloon and was mounted by Monsieur Potavan, who at once gave the order to let go. And off went the balloon with its extraordinary freight amid loud exclamations. Monsieur Pontevin descended about eight leagues in a northeasterly direction and rode back on his aeronautic charger last night to Paris. Horse and rider were about an hour in accomplishing their balloon journey. Half of Paris was present on the occasion. That's good. <laughs> so I'm not sure it was actually half of Paris, but mm. yeah, pretty uh, big spectacle there. Mm hmm. There were people, though, who denounced the performances as cruel to the horses. They were blindfolded, it's fine. Because <laughs> uh, they didn't know what was going on, so if you don't know what's going on, yeah, whatever. That's okay, is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, well, they, they really overstepped the mark two years later in August 1852. Now, Anton, I want you to look closely at this poster in a minute, which we'll have in the show notes, and tell me what has changed about this act in... Um, Cremorne Gardens in London. Aha, it's a bull, and that looks more like a woman as well. It does look like a woman who needs to do her top hole properly. <laughs> That's right. Um, instead of riding on a horse, they decided to ride on a bull this time. Do you think that bulls make a better aeronaut than a horse? Well, they're, I think they're a bit heavier, maybe. Mm. Um, but they'll be... Really angry, so they'll sort of be steering the balloon on by trying to charge at something or other. I don't know, but on, on, on I have to say, horses are better. 
Okay, well, if you want to know a little bit more about horses versus oxen, listen to our episode on that. Oxen episode, it's like 26 or something. I don't know what it is. I can't remember. Just check all of them. Listen to all of them. Yeah, they that's right. to read the titles, actually. Yes. Um, so as I said, this flight took place in London. So I don't know if they actually flew the ball over the English Channel or not. And the poster pictures Madame Podovan sitting side saddle on the back of a bull with rather large horns. And she's actually dressed as the Greek goddess Europa. Which, uh, which continent do you think is named after the Greek goddess Europa? Asia. Uh, nearly. Try again. Um, Africa? Oh, Europe. Well done. Third time lucky. <laughs> and on the death of flight, she took off from... Uh, Cremorne Gardens and drifted eastwards, eventually landing in a field in Ilford. So do you think that any of the animals ever pooed on spectators as they were flying over? <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think so, yeah. Yeah, it's quite dangerous, I reckon. Mm. And a witness was reported as saying when she landed, Astonished at seeing a ball fall from a balloon? It's not a thing that you see every day in Essex. Aye. <laughs> and the poor bull was so terrified by its flight, that it was slaughtered. Oh, did it have a traumatic experience then? I think it did, yeah, poor thing. Uh, that must be quite expensive bull, though. Like, flying bull. Oh, you if mean, you if you, yeah, if you uh, get a steak from it or something. Yeah. Yeah, very special. Yeah, exclusive. Nice aerated meat. Mm. So, Madame Pointevin and Mr Simpson, who is the proprietor of Cremon Gardens, they both pleaded guilty to the... Ill-using and ill-treating of a heifer. And they were both fined £5. And they agreed not to fly any more animals. <laughs> <laughs> Although this didn't really seem to stop um, Madame Potovin. And according to Wikipedia, in 1894, she finished her career by landing a horse on a rooftop in Copenhagen. And I presume she flew there on the horse from Paris. And it says she was age 55, but those dates don't really add up. But I couldn't find any other reports to verify the dates exactly. But she was certainly much older than that. It's brilliant. 200-year-old ends career whilst flying on a horse. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the secret of youth. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Anton, how would you make ballooning with a horse or a bull less cruel to the animals? I've got two ideas. One of them is... Fairly simple, just leave them on the ground and jump over them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the second one is kill the bull or horse and then ride it. (laughs) I don't think that's less cruel. Um, But But they don't know what's happening, so it's fine. (laughs) Oh, that reminds me actually of um, Alberto Santos Dumont. It was said that he wouldn't pass up a good meal, so even when he was flying high in his balloons, he would have like fine dining there. So maybe he actually pioneered... What you're flying saying. steak, flying steak, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I thought leaving them on the ground and jumping over them is a good idea. But how would you do that with balloon jumping? In the 1920s, this was the next big thing in travel. Everyone would be strapped to their own personal balloon and bound about, like they're on the moon. That's actually precisely the way I get to work each day. Mm, yeah. <laughs> The April 1923 issue of Popular Science wrote, How would you like to own your own hand-power jitney balloon to spend your Saturday afternoons joyriding in the sky? 
up a thousand feet or so, swinging beneath the round belly of a small gas-filled bag and travelling anywhere you can induce the playful breezes to take you. So, Anton, how would you like to spend your Saturday afternoons joyriding up in the sky a thousand feet or so, swinging below a small gas-filled bag? Um, maybe jumping over a river or something. I don't know. Yeah, you don't think it'd be a bit terrifying? No, no. no? Okay. It'd be fun. Okay, <laughs> fine. The jumping balloon was developed by the United States Army as a way to reach high enough uh, to service and repair airships. But soon it wasn't just the army who were excited by the idea, as reported in the 19th of July 1927 edition of the Joplin News Herald. How helpful this sort of thing would be. We could strip the spring cherry tree without endangering our legs. We could dispense the elevators and enter our offices on the third or fourth floors by merely leaping up to the window and crawling in. We could do a thousand and one things easily that we now do with difficulty. I think it's probably fixing one of the big issues with being a person and that's having to walk and use our legs. You get stronger legs from jumping. The article makes it sound really easy to control. Was that the case? No. Do you think jumping about with a giant balloon tied to your back would be easy? I know I said I'd find it fun, but... (laughs) It was described as frequently lethal. In 1927, Royal Air Force parachutist Brainy Dobbs (laughs) was demonstrating balloon hopping at Stagline Aerodrome in North London. Does he live up to his name? No. (laughs) Although he did go quite high up in the air. His leaps were taking him closer to a power line, and Captain Blacker called up to him. For God's sake, take care. Those are live wires. He replied, I'll risk it. Moments later, his feet became entangled in the wires. When he reached down to free himself, he exploded into a shower of sparks and fell to the ground, dying instantly. Oh, that's nasty. It's brainy, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess he got that for something else. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Alberto Santa Dumont, he had envisaged people owning personal balloons like this. And his first balloon, actually, that he designed was called the Brazil. And it was much smaller than previous designs by other people. And it was so small, in fact, that he could fit it in his luggage. (laughs) So you'd think, wouldn't you, Anton, that now that we've mastered flight and we've got countless people travelling the globe every day on aircraft that the days of the personal balloon would be passed, wouldn't you? Probably, yeah. To buy a private jet instead. Are you sure? You've made me unsure now. Can you read this headline, please? Oh. Man floats 193 miles using chair and balloons. Last weekend, Kent Couch... (laughs) Chair? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Settled down in his lawn chair with some snacks and a parachute. Attached to his lawn chair were 105 large helium balloons. Now this reminds me of the Mythbusters exercise where they tried yeah. to float and they, they didn't manage, but <laughs> this man clearly succeeded. Yeah. Probably just left the snacks on the chair. 
it said he brought some snacks, but I'm not sure if he was flying himself. Oh, he definitely was. Oh. <laughs> and um, yeah, he said in the article when he was interviewed, when you're a little kid and you're holding a helium balloon, it has to cross your mind. <laughs> yeah, could we fly it away? And this wasn't actually his first flight. Um, he'd flown before. And he's not the only person to attempt it. Because in 1982, Larry Waters attached helium-filled weather balloons to a chair as well. And he proceeded to rise only 5,000 metres into the sky where he was spotted by airline pilots. So imagine flying somewhere, looking out the window and seeing a, a man floating past on a chair and a bunch of balloons. And uh, unfortunately, Larry Waters, he drifted into the airspace of a Long Beach airport. And um, so he needed to descend to get out of the airspace and not be socked into an aircraft engine um so he had a pellet gun with him and he used that to shoot several of the balloons but then he then he dropped his pellet gun oh no luckily he had shot enough of them to start descending and then he became tangled in power lines and caused a electrical blackout but unlike uh, brainy dobs he survived oh so that's the end of our ballooning. But there's so many stories of people throughout history doing really crazy things in the air. And one of the books that I used in my research is called Fox Tutting, Octopus Wrestling and Other Forgotten Sports. And it covers several more um, of these crazy um, air-based sports. And also many more down-to-earth, but not actually down-to-earth <laughs> sports. And it's a great book and well worth a read. Now, Anton, you said last episode that you really enjoyed the part where I sum everything up and pull together the different ideas. Mm. And I'm now feeling immense pressure as I don't really have any big idea for this episode because I was just looking through various things that I'd jotted down in my notes in the past and threw them together. Um, but here goes. <clears throat> it seems throughout history we've wanted to take to the air what was once viewed as absurd impossible and improbable is today possible but that hasn't stopped individuals continually pushing the limits with no real concern for their mortal fragility Lucian wrote his true history as a piece of satire to mock other writers but be careful what you commit to the page as you might give readers real ideas as humans we'll try anything even if it means we only get to do it once but how far removed are the crazy aeronauts and the pioneers like Alberto Santo Dumont, who combine that slightly insane edge with vision and discipline and who drive us forward. As they say, there's a fine line between genius and insanity. Um, so how is that for a summing up? Very good, very good. Thank you. Um, do you want to go summarising it now? Summarising the whole episode? Yeah, I think this could be a good feature each time where it would have its own jingle, like, and Alright. Um We talked about balloons. I don't just want a description, I want a deep understanding. A deep understanding. Mm. Um Can you scroll up a bit please? That crack was my knee. <laughs> Alright, you ready? Okay. But how far removed? are these crazy aeronauts from the pioneers like Alberto Santo Dumont who combined that slightly insane edge with the vision and discipline and who drive us forwards. As they say, the line between genius and insanity is a fine one. 
how did you record that first time? It took me four takes. But well um, done. I agree with every word. Yeah, it's not like you've raised or anything. No, no. Anyway, that's the end of this um, feature. I hope you had a little bit of insight into our aeronautical pioneers of the past. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy it, Anton? I liked it. I think it was quite good. And I actually got to do a couple of segments as well. You did? Which was nice. I think for your birthday, we might get you a balloon. Birthday? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, well, birthday <gasps> balloon. <laughs> We're going to have to record in the balloon sometime. <gasps> yeah, we could record up high above our lab mm, on yeah. our fortress island. We could do a skydiving mission. Yeah, sounds like a good idea to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I said at the start, we are talking at the Intelligence Speech Conference. And we're going to be telling the story of how um, 22 orphans were infected with smallpox and sent across the Atlantic. And we've got our little trailer here now telling you more about it. Ben, we're on someone else's podcast. Let's not intrude too much. You've got 30 seconds to tell this wonderful listenership about the conference. Shoot. Claire off, go on. Uh, Daddy, you've crossed the line there. Don't worry, I just scared them away, nothing more. This is our podcast after all. Yeah, but they invited us to speak at the conference. We're going to get us kicked off the list. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, sorry, um, Ben? Ben? Come back? They've gone, Daddy. Uh, I guess we better tell our listeners ourselves about the conference then. We are very excited to announce that we will be participating in the 2022 Intelligent Speech Conference. If they're still having us, of course. The theme this year is crossings. That's right. That could be crossing time, crossing places, crossing cultures, crossing boundaries. Or crossing lines and getting us crossed off the lists. You're good at that one. Look, Anton, I said I'm sorry. And I've already been preparing a presentation. Intelligent speech takes place on the 25th of June at 10am Eastern Time. So that's an early start for you American listeners. And over here, I think it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Over here is the UK, by the way. So we're off to New York then? Not quite, Anton. Oh. It's online, but that's because they have speakers from all over the world. And they'll be giving about 40-ish talks and also have some roundtable discussions on various topics. There's a great selection of people, including some of our podcast friends, and also some much bigger shows than us. But you you told me we're the number one show in the world. Anton, I lied. (laughs) But don't worry, mate, because there's some kids have been in a much worse position than you. Because we will be telling the story of how 22 orphans were put on a ship to cross the Atlantic Ocean to the New World. Oh, and they were deliberately infected with cowpox. And you say, I cross lines. Ah, that's okay then. As a listener, you will even get the opportunity to ask us some questions. For example, do we like Marmite? Yes. You can find out more at intelligentspeechconference.com. That's right. And it's also the place you can go to buy tickets. They cost $30, but if you act quickly, you can take advantage of the $20 early bird pricing. And better yet, as one of our lovely wonderful and highly intelligent listeners we have a promo code for you to get you a further 10% off enter curiosity at checkout to get the offer and how do you spell curiosity Anton? C-U-R-I-O-S-I-T-Y that's right so please visit 
intelligentspeechconference.com as a one word and get your tickets to listen to some of the finest podcasters and us apparently talking about topics not just from history but also very relevant to matters today Anton are you excited? Sounds pretty cool but I'm a little bit nervous because I I do think you got us kicked off the list I probably did actually Um, I better go find the organisers and say sorry Um, Guys guys come back Ben You can find out more at intelligentspeechconference.com So we can't wait for that. It should be really good, shouldn't it, Anton? Mm-hmm. We've got 19 days to prepare. I am very excited. I need to get writing. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. Um, yeah, so please, please, please um, come and listen to us and all the other fabulous podcasters who are going to be talking on the day. And like Anton said, if you buy a ticket, you get to listen to all of the recordings. So if you miss one of your favourites, because another one of your favourites, hint, hint, is talking at the same time, then you can still listen to all of us, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, where can you find us, Anton? At Curry Child Pod on Twitter. At Curry Child Pod on Facebook. And at Curry Child Pod on Instagram. Um, what's our website? What's our website? Um, the Curiosity of a Child.com. That's right. And if you add a shop to the start of that, say shop.thecuriosityofachild.com and wear awesome hoodies and t shirts. And a Baby nice grays, mug. Mugs, yeah. yeah. All sorts. You can buy amazing merchandise, um, which we'll be modelling during our intelligent speech mm-hmm. talk. I but, that, thought. but that's not all, because I have a gaming channel, don't I? You do. It's going very well at the moment. At Tower of Recording, it's got about 210 subscribers. You had a new comment yesterday. I'm not Did sure I? you've seen it, yeah. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Let's check that out. Another request. Oh, that's good. And I've got thousands of views as well now anyway i think that's the end of the show that is the end of the show thank you very much everyone um i hope you enjoyed it sorry we were a bit late and that this was a terribly unplanned episode at times but goodbye and good night <laughs> or morning or <laughs> afternoon i don't know anyway see ya bye Love you. Bye. Bye. I'm hoping that I made it into the top 50 dads in podcasting. <laughs> what do you think, Anton? Do you reckon I did? Um, um, if, if you, if, yeah, if you want. If you want. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> You're not that good, Dad. <laughs>